Good morning, church. Hey, did anybody just love that song that we got to sing? Anybody love that? Yeah, don't worry, we're going to sing it again. I, I got a cheat sheet here. Wow, that was fantastic. I'm looking forward to singing that again. Um, hey, thanks for uh, bringing the church into these four walls. It's good to be scattered throughout the week in all the places that the Lord has us, but it is so fun uh, to get together on Sundays. Just a couple things that I wanted to remind us of uh, that are coming. Uh, the first is just a reminder, foster and adoption uh, meeting is happening today at the 1040 service in the conference room just behind us. So if, if that's a passion or an interest of yours, that's happening today at the 1040 service. Also, men, we've got a, a teaching and worship night that is happening this Tuesday at Porchlight Coffee in Central South Akron. So that's happening. We've got some guys that are excited about that. Yeah. And then um, also small groups. Um, we've got some that are continuing, some that are launching. But at the back welcome table, we've got a bunch of clipboards with signups. And on those signups, it says where and when uh, all the different small groups are that we offer here. If, you're, if, if you only come on Sundays, you're getting but a slivered taste of what church life is. Uh, what we love to do, we love to gather on Sundays, but then we love to connect throughout the week in a deeper relational context with people, dig into God and others. Um, and so our small group offerings are in the back, at the back table. You don't have to walk back and sign up and commit, but just you can just look and see when and where and maybe even just come back next week or the week after and sign up. But whenever you're comfortable to give it a shot, we'd love for you to give it a shot. Also, just one specific, you know, last year we launched a Young Adults nine-month discipleship uh, thing, and it was awesome. Um, just for you young adults, we're going to launch like a three-month uh, group. It's going to be on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And um, what we have found in groups is I think the equation that we run with is um, vulnerability plus commitment plus time equals awesome in human relationships in Jesus, right? It's a really cool thing. So if you're a young adult and you're not connected in any way, shape, or form right now, I would just encourage you to really think about and pray about jumping into this three-month group that we're doing. I think that on the other side of that, um, you will be different and your uh, communal experience here will be different, right? So anyway, but all small groups at the back table love for you to check those out. Okay, you guys ready to dig in? Yeah, I hope so, because we are. Uh, we're in a, a second week in uh, talking about our, our church's purpose statement, why we exist. Um, we, we want to find our place in the story of God. That's why we exist as a church body. Now, I want to see hands. How many of you would describe yourself as a box checker? Hands up. You love to make lists, and then you love to check those things off of your list. How many of you guys have already checked off at least five things off of your list this morning? Anybody? Yeah, we got, we got a couple this morning. I got a run in and I, got, I checked the, the run box and I also checked the haircut box, which for me is like half of a box check because it's a little bit easier for me than for you. But um, if you are a box checking, get it done, get the task completed kind of a person, then our purpose statement may frustrate you. Finding our place in the story of God. Hmm. Did I check that box today or not? I don't know. It's so, it's so vague. It's so ethereal. I don't know if I did it or if I didn't. I don't know if I'm doing it well or if I, 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 I don't know if I can check that box. 
Well, so, so for you box checkers, we're going to have a hypothetical fun morning. Um, and what we're going to do this morning is let's, let's think about a, maybe a proposal shift. Instead of our purpose statement being finding our place in the story of God, what if we shifted it to honor our box checkers? To give you something that every day you could wake up and you would know that, hey, to be an honorable citizen of the community of Garden City Church, I checked the boxes today and I'm good, right? And so here's the, here's the hypothetical proposal we could shift from finding our place in the story of God to something like this. Garden City Church, we pray, we dig into the word, and we live on mission. How about that? Is a proposed shift in our purpose statement. And if you are a box checker, that would probably be very exciting for you because if our purpose as a church is to pray, well then at some point in the day you can do that and you can check that box. And then you can like dig into the word for however long you do and you can check that box and move on. And if mission is a part of our purpose, then right, thy kingdom come. Jesus, like, I want to see your kingdom come on earth. You could do one or two things in the day that you think checks that box and you could move on. And then we could all live comfortably and at peace knowing that we are living in our purpose. We pray, we dig into the word, we live on mission. Those are box checkable. And for some of us, that might be entirely comforting. But here's what I want us to see this morning, and here's uh, essentially what this morning is. is it's, an, it's an apologetic for the vagueness and the squishiness of our purpose statement. Here's why. We're probably not going to shift our purpose statement. Because not all boxes that are checkable and seem to be good are good all of the time. Not all boxes that are checkable and seem to be very good, they're not all in fact good. Because at the end of all the things that we do, whether you're a box checker or not, this is, and if you're a box checker, I love you. <laughs> and the world needs more of you. This is not an assault on you. We're just having some fun with you this morning. But here, at the end of all things, here, here's what God wants. God wants your heart. And he wants to give you his heart. Now, I don't know. Can you check the box when God has your heart? Do you know when that is happening and when it's not? If so, check it. Do you know when you are receiving God's heart and you are communing? You can check the box. But sometimes that's a little squishy to know when God has mine and when I have his. But the problem is, if God does not have our heart, and from that place we go and try to do good things, checking all of the good things boxes, we haven't really done good. In fact, if God does not have our heart and we do not have his, and you check 10 boxes of things that you think are good throughout the day, watch out. Because so many of those things are actually sowing seeds of not really good things in the world and in the relationships that we find ourselves in. Or, to simplify all of this, um, my favorite farmer, Joel Salatin, says it this way. 
He says, we have gotten very efficient as a culture and as a people of nailing the bullseye of the target. We are so good. We are box checking proficient and we have gotten so good at bullseye, bullseye. We nail it so well. But the haunting question that Joel Salatin asks is, how often do we stand back and consider maybe we're shooting at the wrong target? Ouch. Finding our place in the story of God is intended to keep us sensitive to, are we actually aiming at the right thing? So, box checkers, but we're going to continue with our hypothetical If we were to shift our purpose statement to we pray, we dig into the word, and we live on mission, let's explore some of this in and through the scriptures as Jesus instructs us. Uh, Turn first to Luke chapter 18. We're going to be in three different places in the New Testament, just looking at some examples, prayer, the Bible, and mission, and box checkers, right? Luke chapter 18, I want us to, to look at a prayer here as Jesus describes it. Jesus is setting up a teaching here. He is in full teaching mode, and he says this in Luke 18, verse 11, thinking about prayer. Jesus says this. He says, there's a Pharisee standing by himself, and he prayed thus. Keep in mind, uh, the context here is Jesus says he's praying in the temple. So the Pharisee stands in the temple and prays, and here's his prayer. God I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector who seems to have wandered into the temple and has caught the sight of this praying Pharisee. Then the prayer continues. I, oh gracious God, doesn't say that, but he's speaking to God. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Okay, so two things about this prayer right here. Um, One is it's in the temple, which is the most holy and celebrated religious site in Israel, Israelite community. Um, So it's at the temple, the epicenter of religiosity in the center of God worship. Number two, this prayer is being offered by a Pharisee who was of the most respected class of religious people. So the idea is this, this Pharisee is praying out loud and everyone is hearing him in the holy place and he is a holy man. And so all of the people who were walking by, right, this is like, uh, this is like the epicenter of athletics. This is like the biggest stadium of sport and the biggest athlete. And all the people walking by are like, yeah, here we are. We're in the temple and we've got super, super God lover here and he's praying. And the people that are wandering by are not thinking like, who's this goofball? Why is he making this prayer? Most people in this culture, in this time, are honoring and affirming this religious elite in the religious elite epicenter of the temple. They're celebrating this. This is someone who we would want to emulate, who the citizenry of Israel would say, yeah, check him out. This is what prayer looks like. Regarding prayer, this guy, of all people in all places, check that box. 
He's checking it. He's checked it twice. He's checking it. He's got a lot of check marks in the prayer box because of who he is and where he is. And even the content of his prayer reveals how righteous he is. Not all boxes that we check ought to be checked. Prayer. Have you ever had someone or been in a, have you ever been in a conversation with someone where like they're there and you're there and they're talking, but you get the sense that you don't know that you're really needed there. Like they, um, you're pretty sure that they don't see you. They don't really care about you. They're, they're not conversing with you, but they're just talking at you. And it doesn't matter if it was you or sub in any of the other 8 billion people on the planet. It wouldn't change what they're saying it or how they're saying it. And they're looking all over the place. You're not a significant factor in what they're saying. They just want to hear the words that are coming out of their mouth because they like the sound of their own voice. Have you ever been in a conversation like that? If you have been, can you check the conversation box on that, on that one? No, I don't, I don't think so. I don't know. Right? And this, this prayer that is directed at the creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth. It's called a prayer. And what Jesus is teaching here, he's given a negative example, of course. This prayer to me seems to be um, one, part, one part bragging session. Right? Here's how great I am, everybody. I'm talking to God. But listen to how great I am. I tithe all the time, and I give, and I don't do bad things. God, God, do you hear? God, do you hear how great I am, everybody? I mean, God, do you hear how great I am? Right? This is a bragging session cloaked as prayer. But it's not just a bragging session. It's also, it's also like a weird, insidious like public gossip session, where as he's praying, this tax collector walked in, and all the people in the temple who were revering the praying Pharisee, even in his prayer, all the people that are around the Pharisee hearing him pray, saying, oh, well done, box checker, you nailed that prayer. All the people that see this tax collector walk in, and they're thinking in their hearts and in their minds, boo, boo, right? They're just, they hate this guy. This guy's hated. In the, in the Pharisee, right, then prays what everybody is thinking. And he says, and God, thank you that I'm not like this guy. That knucklehead right there, he's selling out our people. He's colluding with Rome. Thank you that I'm not a wicked, vile wretch like him. And all the people in the temple say, yeah, finally, somebody's telling the truth. Somebody's got the courage to stand up and say the truth. In a prayer fashion, right? Everyone is celebrating this religious leader in this iconic religious place. And they believe the prayer box is getting checked. But the question that Jesus is inviting us to consider is, is this. Is this what God is inviting us into regarding prayer? Is this what God is looking for regarding conversation with him? And the, the obvious answer here as Jesus draws this out is no. 
Does everybody around the Pharisee think this is a great prayer? Yes. The only person here that doesn't think this is a great prayer is the one to whom it's directed. God himself. There are prayers that we offer that the enemy is so excited about. Remember last week we talked about a co-authored story. It's us, but we're not just writing our story by ourselves. And how God is inviting us into a co-authored story with him. What a beautiful invitation. We also talked about Genesis 3. There's another co-author on the scene who would love to co-write a story of a different kind with us. And that is the serpent in Genesis 3. We know that to be the accuser. We call him Satan. He is also wanting to come in and to co-write a script. Right? There are some prayers that we pray. And Jesus alludes to one right here in Luke 8. It is a prayer directed at God, but it is co-authored with Satan himself. Check the prayer box. But oops, totally and utterly missed it. Regarding prayer, God isn't asking us to talk at him. But God is inviting us to dialogue with him, where he has our heart and we have received his, and we are in communing fellowship back and forth, back and forth, talking and listening, and listening and responding, and telling the truth and receiving the truth, and being vulnerable in allowing God to speak into that. Like that's what he is inviting us into, and that is a far cry from the prayer offered in the temple by the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18. God wants our heart first. And he wants us to pray. How do you check the heart box? I don't know, but we gotta start thinking about that. We gotta start thinking about finding our place in the story of God. How about the next one? Right? So our proposed shift and purpose statement as we pray did that. We dig into the word, right? Because the word is central to our lives as followers of Jesus. Regarding the word, let's go to 1 Corinthians for a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. This is the Apostle Paul instructing the church in Corinth. And Paul says this. He's speaking about a particular issue that was of concern for people whose food offered to idols. That need not really impact the, it is the context, but it doesn't inform um, specifically what I want us to talk about here in chapter 8. Here's what Paul says regarding the word and knowledge. Paul says, we know that all of us possess knowledge. We all have some level of knowledge of God in the world and all the things he's doing. But he says, this knowledge that you are speaking of, Corinthians, this knowledge actually puffs up. But love builds up. Two different things. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Here's what Paul's saying. 
You can wake up every single day. You could read your word. You could dig in. You could do an hour and a half quiet time, commentaries and all sorts of notes. And you could learn some incredible, deep, significant truths. You could check that box. Good. But the danger is, is that in some people, that knowledge that you have just inquired about God, actually um, what it serves to do is not its intended purpose, but what it serves to do is it serves to, the language Paul uses is puff you up, right? Picture like a pump of air and just make me getting bigger and bigger and thinking about myself more and more, right? It's, it's regarding pride and ego, right? There are some, it's possible to fill yourself with a knowledge of God from the scriptures and that knowledge is truthful, But instead of doing what God wants it to do, it actually serves, because your heart is not in the right place, it actually serves to puff you up with pride, and the fires of your pride and ego are being fueled by all the wonderful things that you are learning. Is that a box that can be appropriately checked regarding Bible study? Right? Similar thing. There are ways, because of our brokenness in our hearts not being attached to the Father, there are some ways that we do Bible study and there are some outcomes to our study of the Word that the enemy actually loves and tries to fuel and to get more of it. Because when we read the Bible to learn it, to puff ourselves up, what we do with that knowledge often is we weaponize it. We weaponize it against people, right? We walk with a superior knowledge that we have that you don't. We're puffed up, you're not. And it's an opportunity for us and all the Bible studies that we have back there, it's an opportunity for us to belittle everyone else in the group who doesn't know nearly as much as I do. And it's an opportunity to show everybody how smart I am and how dumb you are. And then the, right, the de facto observational truth must be God loves me more than he loves you because I know more than I love you. There was a, I've been candid with you guys in the past, that there was a time in my young Christian life where this was me. I am sure at some point I have prayed fluffy prayers to be seen and appreciated by people. I'm sure that has happened, but my conscience is not awakened to that specifically. I'm sure it's happened, but I'm not knowledgeable of that. But what I am knowledgeable of in my conscience is I have violated this in my own life. I have seen firsthand where knowledge puffs up. And it does bad things. There was a season where, you guys know this if you've been here for a while, where I, almost like a good first century Gnostic, there were some things that I saw and believed about God that most people around me did not see and did not understand. And I truly believed that I had an elite level of understanding that most people did not. And and I think it's... It, like the, the, this knowledge trajectory doesn't always go in this direction. I think initially when I started learning and studying as a mid-20s, early-20s believer who was on fire, 
for the Lord. I think that my heart started in a good place and I was digging in, I was reading theology books and I was just devouring the truth. But at some point, something in my heart shifted and, and I started reading the word from a place of being puffed up and prideful. And I found this theological system that made sense to me that nobody else saw. And I actually started to see myself as better than everyone else. I was the smartest guy in the room. And you would have found me in my seminary classes, interacting with my professors. And I was an absolute, I don't know if I can say this in church. I'll be, I'll be gentle here. I was an absolute but I would challenge the professor and we would get sidetracked into the professor arguing with Brian and Brian arguing with the professor. And like there was this weird thing where I, like this person has devoted their lives to studying and knowing God and digging into the languages and the history and they're smarter than me. But there's this weird thing inside of my heart that loves taking them on in front of the class. What a butt. And there were times where I would talk to people and I would just think, I am so smart, I get this, and you don't. And that pastor doesn't get it, and that pastor doesn't get it, and that pastor doesn't get it. And here I am, I'm just a young 20-something, and I get it! How great of God to just reveal it to me and nobody else, right? I know firsthand what Paul is saying when he says, be careful of knowledge. Just watch it because it can puff you up in your ego, in your pride. And when that happens, all of the good things you think you know become destructive forces in the community of faith around you. Praise the Lord. It only happened for like 9 to 12 months, but it was 9 to 12 months too long. And the scary thing is, like, I can recognize these people from a mile away now, which is why they often don't make it long here. Beware of certain kinds of Bible study that actually just serve to pump us up with pride, which then will belittle and marginalize and we will weaponize against people in a myriad of ways. Paul says, don't do it. God is not asking us to study about him. He is inviting us to know him. Study about him I can check that box. I know when I've done it. I know when it's completed. Knowing him relationally? Ah, I don't, I don't know. When do you check that one? I don't, I don't know. It's more vague than I read my Bible this morning. I don't know if that's a box checkable one. But his invitation, again, is not to study about him, but to know him. Paul says, I love this, if anyone imagines that he knows something, Brian, you 24-year-old but if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. That's the point. That's what this understanding of God is to lead us to a relational knowing, not just about him, but a relational knowing of him, which for sure includes understanding who he is, which is why this is so important.
There's a way to know God that builds up the body, and there is a way of knowing about God that destroys the body. The enemy loves the puffed-up knowledge. The enemy hates it when we know God. Proposed shift this morning. We pray, we dig into the word, and we live on mission. Well, regarding mission, let's go back to Luke again. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 54. The first prayer, we looked at a religious leader of the day who everyone would have esteemed as the ultimate prayer, praying in the ultimate place, the temple. Now, uh, we're going to get a missional idea from one of Jesus' 12 disciples. There's a ranking of people that know what God wants to do on planet Earth. These disciples are in the top 12, okay? And actually, because they're two of Jesus' core followers, let's just say that they're top two in the top, they're, they're in the top three of knowing what God is desiring to do in the world. They've got a missional idea. Here is their missional idea. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 54. The context here is Jesus tries to go to a Samaritan village. The Samaritan village says, no thanks, Jesus. You're going to Jerusalem. We don't like Jerusalem. We're not going to allow you to stay here if you're, if you're going to Jerusalem because we don't like those people. And then here's the missional idea that a couple of disciples have. When the disciples, James and John, saw all this going down, the Samaritan village says, Jesus, we don't want you if you're going to Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Just pause there for a second. James and John, at this moment in time, right? Jesus, here's what mission is. It's thy kingdom come, it's thy will be done, right? As ambassadors of Jesus, it's living and breathing out the things in our sphere of influence that we think Jesus wants to live out and breathe out. So James and John think right now that what heaven wants to do on earth is to destroy this Samaritan village, Their missional idea, front and center. Hey, church, here's what we're going to do missionally this week. We're going to destroy that Samaritan village because that's what heaven wants to do, and we're going to join in with that story of what heaven wants to do. That's their A-game idea. Let's call down fire from heaven so that it consumes them. Great idea, guys. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. Rid the world of a whole Samaritan town. Is Jesus wanting that to happen? No. Do James and John believe that that's what Jesus wants to do? Yes. Here's the scary thing. There's 10 other disciples that are right there listening to this. Those 10 other disciples are Jews. They also don't like Samaritans. When James and John say, hey, Jesus, missional idea, do you want us to call down fire from heaven? As if they they, they think they can, which is a whole other thing, right? But all the other ten disciples, when they heard James and John say, shall we call down fire, they're all saying, yeah, that's what we should do. Let's do that. That's the missional idea that is front and center. Let's all join in. Yeah, Jesus, call it down. 
Every, they're all in agreement here that this, this is what God wants to do on planet earth right here, right now. These are the top guys who understand God's heart at this point in human history. And this is their best idea right now of what they think God wants to do. But thankfully, Jesus has Jesus has a different story for the future of that Samaritan town. We, we learn after the resurrection that a, a revival breaks out all around Samaria. So let's just assume that after the resurrection of Jesus, yeah, they slighted Jesus now, but Jesus is patient with us. He's long-suffering. He doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so this revival that breaks out in Samaria, let's just assume that this village was a participant in that, and they said, oh shoot, we shouldn't have neglected Jesus. He is the great and high king. We love him. We worship him, right? That's Jesus' heart for them. But his closest followers want to destroy them. Regarding mission, God is not asking us to work for him, but he's inviting us to work with him. And the only way that we can work with him is if our hearts are aligned with his in an abiding, relational kind of way. To work with him in the way that he wants to work, we must know him and be walking with him. If we are not knowing him and being known by him and walking intimately with him, then our best missional ideas will be destructive to everything around us. We can do what appears to be very good things. Check the box. Good thing. And as we do these things that appear to be good things, we can be absolutely outside of everything that God wants to be happening. Yes or yes. We all in agreement? Jesus is really clear about this. But the unfortunate thing is that this human beings checking the box of what we think is the right thing to do, but it's actually like everything that God doesn't want done. This is so much the story of human history. And it is alive and well today in the greater American church of which we are a part, which means we got to watch out. This isn't a problem outside. This is a problem that we will also struggle with. I think the reason is because all of us have what we'll call a religious sentiment. We all, in some deep part of our hearts and our minds, we know that we are obliged to some greater power above us. Even the avowed atheist, deep in their heart, feels this. Because we have been made by a creator and you can't shake that. And then this religious sentiment creeps out of us where we think, well, because this being exists, there are certain things that I should do. So we pray and we find sacred scriptures and we do this and we try to do good things. But so many of the things that we do, actually all of them, in the religious sentiment construct, they're not right and they're not good. They look good. It looks like you're checking a good box, but it's actually destructive in insidious ways that we often can't even See, 
When we do religious things in our brokenness without God, the results can be anything from mildly bad to catastrophic. But what Jesus invites us into is something very different than religion. He invites us into an abiding relationship with him. And relationships are organic and they are living. Can you check the box on when the relationship is checkable? I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. But even though it's not box checkable, it is central for us to be mindful of at all times with all the things that we are doing. Relationships are organic and living, and we live in an intricate web of God-invited relationships where it's God and us and us and God. And it's complicated and it's beautiful and it's messy and it's just so awesome. But it's, but it's complicated, right? An intricate web of God and us and us and God and then us and others and us and others and God. And all these relational lines are getting overlapped and webbed. And then it's us and God and God and us and us and others and others and God and us. And then there's creation added into it and like this whole flowing web of multifaceted relationships is the thing that God invites us into. And I I just don't know if that's box checkable, but is it good? Yes, it is so good. Do we need to be mindful of this all the time? Yes, we do. We do. We can do what appears to be good things and absolutely be outside of everything that God is wanting to do in us and among us. And then on the flip side, we can be doing things that most people around us think are wrong and be doing 100% of what God wants us to be doing. When Jesus walked into the temple and made an absolute mess of it, you can make a mess of your own living room, we'll judge you for it quietly. You can even make a mess of the ramp off of the highway. We'll tolerate that on some level. But you don't make a mess in the temple. Sacred space, Jesus. How dare you make, flipping tables over in here. Who do you think you are? Don't you know where we are? When Jesus made a mess of the temple, everyone in the temple said, you are wrong. And what Jesus said is, well, I don't know. The Spirit of God just, when I walked in, the Holy Spirit said, hey, Jesus, what do you think about flipping some tables? And the Father said, yeah, let's flip some tables. So Jesus said, I don't know. I walked in. I'm just finding my place in the story of God. This is what we're doing. We're flipping tables. Sorry you don't like it, but this is what God is doing here now. When Jesus picked heads of grain on the Sabbath, he was violating what was a Sabbath law as people understood it and extrapolated on it and constructed it. So Jesus is walking through a grain field with his disciples. He's hungry. They're hungry. It's the Sabbath. And Jesus, like everyone's feeling hunger, but it's against the customs of everyone around them. You know, we don't harvest anything on the Sabbath. Well, but Jesus hears the Spirit say, hey, you guys are hungry? Yeah, let, let's, there's some grain here. Let's just, let's just pick some and eat it. And the Father's like, yeah, let's, let's do this. Let's pick some grain, right? And so Jesus is like, well, I guess this is what we're doing. Hey guys, disciples, we're free to pick some grain. And they start picking grain and eating it. And everyone says, how dare you? 
You're wrong. You're violating God and his holy commands. And Jesus is like, well, I, I just heard from the Spirit and the Father. And they said to do it. Sometimes when we find our place in the story of God, oh, people around us could be quite, quite frustrated. Remember when Jesus turns water into wine at the party to keep the party going? There are so many religiously minded people that would say, Jesus, why? what's up with this party thing? Wine? Are you kidding me? They probably already had maybe a little too much. Why would you make more? This is wrong. You, Jesus, are wrong. And Jesus says, I, I don't know. This, it was his mother first that invited him to do it. But then I think the Spirit of God says, yeah, Jesus, let's do this. Let's, this, party needs, this party needs to keep going. The Father's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's keep this party raging. Let's, Jesus, let's make some wine. And Jesus is like, I, I don't know religious people. I don't know what to tell you. I'm just doing what my Father has invited me to do. I'm finding my place here in this wedding festival, this party. I'm finding my place in, in what God is doing. So I guess I, I really... I'm sorry that you're upset, but I don't know what to do about that right now. So, shh. And Jesus, again, heals on the Sabbath. How dare you, Jesus? That's against the law of God. Well, Jesus, in his mind's eye, must be thinking, well, the Father and the Spirit invited me to heal this person, and I know it's the Sabbath, but they said thumbs up, so I did it. Sorry that you are mad abolitionists in the American South risking their lives to set slaves free. But that's against the law. You don't break the law. The way I can show you the law of Virginia, you don't go in and set slaves free. They're somebody's property. Whoa, but praise the Lord that the abolitionists didn't listen to the law and listen to what everybody around them was wanting them to not do. Praise the Lord that they found themselves in the story of God and they were locked into a mission that made everybody around them mad. But they didn't care because what the father was saying is set the captives free. What the slave owners were saying is keep them bound. They say, well, I'm just doing what the father has invited me to do. I don't know what to do with your anger, right? And they just kept doing their work. Christians in World War II, Germany, hiding and defending Jewish people. And the whole German machine is coming after them to crush them. And it's the law that you don't hide Jews. You expose them, we send them off. You identify them, we send them off. That's what a good German Christian does. Because we are we, and they are they. We belong here, they belong in the concentration camps, right? Praise the Lord that there were some believers who said, no, we're not going to follow your law. We're not going to fit in with public sentiment just so we can feel good about being German with you. No, we're going to find our place in the story of God. And what that does is it makes me an outlaw amongst y'all, but I'm okay with that because that's what he's doing. And if that's what he's doing, that's what I'm doing. Band, get back up here. We're going to sing. What God wants first and foremost is not dutiful people checking boxes of what we believe are the good things we should do. Christians in Germany that were outing their fellow brothers and sisters of Jewish ancestry, they were checking the box of good things that they thought they were doing. 
we can get so misled and we can get so far off base. What God wants is he wants our heart of first priority. And having our hearts, he invites us into this beautiful web of relationships that is governed by him and is done with him. It is governed by him and it is done with him. And then, whether we're doing things that everybody thinks are good or whether we're doing things that everybody thinks is out of bounds and wrong, well, our conscience is clean because we've found our place in the story of God. Father in heaven, I pray that you, by your spirit, would make us a deeply relational people who love being loved by you, who love walking with you, who love knowing you, who love conversing and dialoguing with you. God, would you make us a people who love to catch your heart for what you are wanting to do in us and around us. And then we just say, yeah, oh God, I want to join you in that because that is so good. And that might get me caught up in prison. I might become a cultural outsider, but God, if you're doing that, and if that's, I want to I do that with you. Father, would you make us a people who long and love to find our, our place in your story. Like so many of the saints of old, would you erupt that within us? We give you our hearts. We want to receive yours. We want to know and to be known. And we want to walk in all that you have for us. And so now we give you our hearts in the form of song. We pray that you would commune with us, that we wouldn't sing at you, but we would join in with the host of heaven and sing with you.